Actually, I was thinking a moment ago about the idea of singing, Give Me the Bible, the chance to learn about the Word of God, to learn about Him. We have mentioned that this morning, and even the chorus singing, Thy light shall guide me. That's the, that's the goal of following the Word of God. And also, uh, in the chorus there at the end, we sing the words, Law and love combining. The thought that, yes, there is the love of God that so many people want to think about, but also the law of God, that we need to be obedient to Him in order to enjoy those blessings. Uh, and of course, we, Paul writes in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, so that we can have hope through the patience and comfort of the scriptures. And so we're going to do that this afternoon. We're going to talk a little bit about Samson. Uh, I'm borrowing this, or this is a website that we subscribe to, I think both for our own webpage, uh, but also for the slides. A lot of the slides that I use, I've got access to a lot of PowerPoint, and that's kind of where some of the backgrounds come from, but they also have a whole section for kids and different things. And so when I went in and searched for Samson, uh, this was the only thing. There wasn't necessarily a, a regular PowerPoint, you might say, to go with maybe a Sunday morning lesson, but there was some material that you could use in a Bible class for kids. And I was, as I was looking through it, this goes through the story of Samson. There are no words on the screen, just sort of some pictures, and we'll kind of work through the story uh, this afternoon. I think it will be encouraging. There will be several life lessons for us to consider, uh, and then the lesson will be yours. I wanted to mention one more time that, as I said this morning, we will come back to the intertestamental period lesson. I just decided to push it for today to a future time. It may even be next Sunday afternoon that we'll get there, uh, but many of you are interested in that, and uh, we want to talk about that, but we're just calling an audible for this afternoon. Uh, we are going to take a look at the life of Samson. So I ask you to turn to Judges chapter 13. We're not going to go, we're not going to read verse by verse certainly, but we kind of will be working through chapters 13 through 16 to think about the life of Samson. Now for the at least the third time, this is at least the third time in the book of Judges that God gives the, the children of Israel over to the Philistines. In chapter 3 and verse 31, around the time of Shamgar, the judge Shamgar, I won't sing again, everybody's already chided me for singing this morning, uh, but during the time of Shamgar, uh, they are given over to the Philistines. Also in chapter 10, between Jair and Jephthah, they're given over to the Philistines. So this is at least the third time that in that cycle, they've fallen in oppression to the Philistines. And we read that in chapter 13 and verse 1. I had a, the chance to teach judges in the fall, and it was amazing to me, and at least one person told me this afternoon during lunch, said, I, I want to go read Judges now. You know, I want to try to do that this week. Look for the word again. You see it right here at the beginning of chapter 13, but again. Is that not what we get so frustrated as I always use the example of my children, but just children in, children in general, excuse me. We get on to them. We tell them don't do that, and then we have to turn around and we say, Really? Again, you disobeyed again. It's an important word when it comes to this cycle because we see again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. Notice, I didn't mention any years this morning, but it often gives us years when it comes to the book of Judges. They are going to be in captivity or in oppression for 40 years this particular time. Let's talk about Samson's family for just a moment. As you see it there through most of chapter 13, his father was Manoah is his name. He was a Danite of the tribe of Dan in chapter 13 and verse 2. 
And what happens in the first five verses is the Lord's angel appeared to his wife and told her that though she was barren for a time, she would conceive and bear a son. And so we talked about that. And really in verse number five, at the end of verse number five, I told you this morning that his mission was foretold even before his conception. And this is it. He's not born yet. He's not even conceived yet. But in verse 5, the angel of the Lord says, He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samson is going to play an important role because of uh, this, this role, it's this mission that's laid out for him before he is even conceived. Now we also see here, and you know, these pictures are kind of funny, I thought some of them, but they kind of try to de- describe for us, if you can make it out, that he's going to be a Nazarite. Uh, verse Uh, Verse number 24 talks about the fact that Samson, that this particular son, would be a Nazarite to God from his birth. That's also in verses 4 and 5. Some of you are familiar with the Nazarite vow. I really wish we maybe, this should have been what we talked about. There's a lot behind that. There's probably a lot of confusion as well. But Samson was going to be a Nazarite from birth. There are four things that pertain to Nazarite. I'll try to give them to you real quick. Number one, they have to take an oath. It's an actual oath that you are going to commit to this Nazarite vow. Number two, they cannot touch wine or any kind of anything from the vine. It, it goes deeper than that. In fact, I meant to say this. I'm sorry. If you, this is some more homework for you maybe a little less than reading Judges. If you want to study the Nazarite vow, go look at Numbers chapter 6, Numbers 6, 1 through 21. We won't have time this afternoon, although we are kind of touching on it. Numbers 6, 1 through 21 talks about that. So in that thing from the vine, they cannot drink wine or things from the vine. It could be as well they weren't allowed to have raisins, if raisins, you know, was kind of a a thing they had at that time, or uh, also juice from the vine. I mean, not just we use the term wine, but that was part of this vow. Number three, their hair would grow uncut during this vow. So that's kind of the joke on this slide, right? That it looks like Samson's got long hair there in this vision or so, this discussion between his mother and the angel of the Lord. And number four, they were to remain they were to remain rich, ritually, ritually clean. They could not touch a corpse, even if it was their only family member, maybe involved with the death of a family member. Now, here's the catch when it comes to the Nazarite vow. I think a lot of people hear that and they think for life. But the Mishnah, which is kind of Jewish tradition, tells us that often the Nazarite vow was only taken for 30 days. Now, I don't think that may be the case here with Samson, but someone wouldn't necessarily always do this for their entire life. It might just be for 30 days, and we get the idea that it could have been men and women. Uh, So, of course, the long hair for a woman might not have been as big a deal, but you see in the picture here again, Samson um, was going to be a Nazarite to God from birth, and there's a lot more discussed in that in the book of Numbers. We've already mentioned that his major role was to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines, and he would judge Israel for 20 years. He would judge Israel. His reign as deliverer was for 20 years. Now, in response to this message from God, his parents, Manoah, prays in chapter 13 and verse number 8. 
I know I'm giving you a ton of notes. If you like to make notes, we may be moving a little quickly, but hopefully you have your Bible open. And as I mentioned scripture, you can kind of follow along. But Manoah prayed in verse number eight and sought guidance. He says, come teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And again, in verse number 12, Manoah's attitude is, let your words come to pass to the angel of the Lord. Two quick lessons here. Number one, parents who really care about their children turn to the Lord for help. We already mentioned this morning that a good start doesn't necessarily mean a good uh, ending. A good beginning doesn't mean a good ending. Well, his parents certainly seem to be on the track of seeking God's advice and God's help and his will for Samson. I use this illustration a lot sometimes, but you can absolutely go to a bookstore, if those even exist anymore. I know you can find on Amazon, right, all the time now. Used to could, at least. You go to the bookstore, and you could find the parenting section, and you could probably choose from 400 books that would tell you how to be a good parent. Some of those would be very helpful when it comes to nutrition or how to help your children socially or some things. But parents who want to do the right thing when it comes to their children, if they really care about their children, they'll turn to the Lord for help. Number two, God-fearing parents want to know what God's will is for them, for their role. God-fearing parents want to know what God's will is for their role as parents. We should seek the will of the Lord first. There's a lot of good information in the will and the word of the Lord, maybe not for nutrition exactly as I use that example, but certainly when it comes to parenting, to discipline, to lots of different things, the way that families should be, the way that parents should be. So one reason I wanted to go over Samson real quick this afternoon is if I say Samson, you're probably going to say back Delilah. But have you ever studied the full life of Samson and even realized that he has a good beginning here? God's promises never fail, and he promised that Manoah's wife would conceive and bear a child, and that is exactly what happened. Now, I, I don't know how many times I'll need to give the clarification. I don't think this is an exact picture of Samson, right? I don't know. Uh, Clayton was giving me a hard time earlier. He's like, I don't know. That's what Samson looked like. But uh, for our purpose this afternoon, I think it will help us uh, to think about Samson with his hair, Samson with his strength. We certainly picture in our mind a muscular person who's going to be then begin to travel around and chapter 13 verse 25 tells us and the spirit of the lord began to move upon him around the place of dan one more thought about judges that's another phrase that you see used in the book of judges that the spirit of the lord is sometimes involved with these judges all right the next section is going to be entitled samson's troubles begin samson's troubles begin here's what's interesting Set aside chapter 13 for a moment. Chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16 all begin with Samson chasing after a woman. All right, now I'm not trying to say, you know, one particular thing that women are the problem or anything, although women are sometimes a problem for men. But all three instances, we get the idea that this is a weakness for Samson. He is chasing after women. His affection for women seems to be a glowing weakness with him and his poor choices. And we see that here. Chapter 14 and verse 2, if you're following along, he was attracted to a woman in Timnah and he told his father, now therefore get her for me as a wife. Samson's parents know and knew that the best thing for Samson was to marry a woman that was part of God's people. 
right? Chapter 14 and verse 3, then they mention to that. Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? We mentioned this morning the Canaanization of Israel. God says, don't be among the people, and they do. This is a similar problem. And if you want to make a note, go check out 1 Peter 3, 7, because Peter talks about husbands and wives growing together in grace or in the faith. That is God's design for marriage. But Samson says he's attracted to her, and that's what he wants. And even though his parents know what is better, or they know what is better, he is pretty adamant about it. He insisted that he wanted the Philistine woman saying that she pleased him. That's at the end of chapter 14 and verse number 3. Father, I don't care that she may be better, what may be better for me. She's going to please me, and I want you to get her for me. A couple of other lessons here, maybe for our young people up here, maybe as much, and some of you parents, but there is more to consider in selecting a spouse than he or she makes me happy. We want to be happy. Nobody's suggesting you should go into marriage to be miserable, but there should be more than somebody who only makes me happy. Likewise, what about outward appearance or shared interests or the same goals? Well, I hope we have some of those similar things. I hope you have someone who you marry that makes you happy, but there's more to consider when it comes to selecting a spouse, including if that person is going to be a faithful Christian. Now, we're not never guaranteed that, that's never, just, just because you marry someone who is a Christian, maybe they, they come to services now, they may fall away later, but we can do our best to seek out someone who is going to be a faithful child of God, at least as much as we can tell in that time based on their actions. Another lesson here is, yes, the woman pleased Samson, but more importantly, would Samson's marriage please God? Yes, the woman pleased Samson, but more importantly, would Samson's marriage please God? We don't always consider that. We don't always think about that sometimes. Yes, lust is involved. Outward appearance and attraction may be the main thing. She seems very pretty or her family has lots of money or all of these other things that can come into effect to try to draw two people together in marriage. But these are important, uh, better things to consider when it comes to uh, thinking about ways of marriage. And yes, those are in the Old Testament. Some good examples there as well. When the Lord's Spirit came mightily on Samson in chapter 14 and verses 5 and 6, he had amazing strength. Now, beginning in verses 5 and 6, there's a lot of stories very quickly that tell of Samson's strength. Verses 5 and 6 talk about his battle with the lion, that he tears apart the lion in verse 6 as a person would tear apart a young goat. Uh, there in, in verses 5 and 6, he has a riddle in chapter 14. We know about Delilah's interaction with him, right? But do you remember in chapter 14 that there he makes a riddle with some men and promises them some changes of clothes if they can solve it? And what happens? The riddle's in verse 14, if you're following along, by the way. Uh, what happens in verse 14 is he tells them the riddle. They cannot think of it. He gives them three days. And at the end of the three days, all of a sudden, at the end of the three days, they figure it out. But we know from reading scripture they figure it out because they go to his wife and ask her to figure it out. Kind of similar parallel with Delilah. And when he tells her, she tells them. 
And in verse 18, we see that they come to Samson probably with their chest puffed out, thankful to have figured out the riddle. But all it does is it brings him, makes him angry. And we see in verse 19 that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily. And he goes in and he's going to do some destroying here. He's going to be upset because of the things that are happening. And he has that kind of power. He is certainly able to do that. Uh, Samson was not the last one to succumb to um, his wife or a woman who's trying to seduce him or convince him to do something that he he shouldn't do, uh, giving up the answer here. And in fact... Uh, they threatened to kill his wife and her family. That was part of it. So she turns on that appeal and is able to get him to give the answer. But it gets him worked up and he has this problem here uh, where his plans are not working out so well. Samson's troubles continue. In chapter 15, it opens with him chasing uh, another woman here in the sense of his wife. And when he tries to see her, there's an issue between him and the people. And you may recall, this is a great story we tell our young people sometimes, that he finds 300 foxes. He ties their tails together, puts a torch between them. And and verse number 5, that they go through the field at the end of uh, of verse 5 there, and they're going to destroy the Philistines' crops. And in verse 6, you want to talk about trouble, trouble. Remember this, this morning I took my finger and I talked about the cycle going this way and then going down. Look at the end of verse number 6, what happens. The Philistines end up burning his wife and her father with fire. It's not good. These troubles keep following him. And we get a peek into what his philosophy is. Notice in chapter 15 and verse 11, he says... As they did to me, so I have done to them. What a philosophy on life. They did it first, so I'm going to do it worst, or I'm going to do it back, or however you want to say it. That's his philosophy on revenge, and it's very, very sad. Those... When he says that in verse number 11, what's happened is 3,000 men of Judah come to get him. They take him to the Philistines, but in another well-known story, in verses 14 through 19, he's taken to the Philistines, but he breaks the cords, the rope at that time. And in verse 15, he finds the fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he slays 1,000 Philistines in that moment. Remember this morning when we talked about the Dark Ages? Remember this morning when we talked about lots of issues and battles? Samson is not immune from it either. And so this is uh, several of the stories that lead up then to Judges chapter 16, which you are probably a little more familiar with. Samson's next foolish decision in chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3 was once again to go chasing after a woman and to enjoy the pleasures of a harlot in verse number 1. And so he's not even to Delilah yet in verse number 4, but in verse 1 he, he makes this decision and when he does, he has a moment when he, the, the men surround him and verse number three. And so he wakes up, he takes a hold of the doors of the gate, the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. He's in destruction mode. You know, our kids talk about the, the superheroes of the day and, and the joke is always about the Incredible Hulk. Some of you remember the old Incredible Hulk show, but you know, they talk about, you know, going Hulk on someone, going angry and then destroying things. That's kind of what Samson is, does at several times here. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he's able to be strong. 
And he's able to cause destruction based upon the troubles that he faces. So, chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. The next woman, and maybe the last here in Samson's love life, is Delilah. And in verse number 5, we see that she is able to be bribed to betray him for money. All you adults who have been in our Wednesday night class, I think Jerry mentioned it this morning, his uh, discussion talking about stewardship and money, 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 money. It's always a part of things, and it's the same thing here with Delilah. She is bribed to betray Samson. You may recall that there are three different instances that takes place with Delilah. First, in verse number seven, she says, Oh, tell me the source of your strength. And he says that if you will bind me with seven fresh bowstrings in verse number seven of course that doesn't work verse 11 the second time she comes to him those eyes pleading why are you mocking me tell me the source of your strength and he says bind me with new ropes in verse 11 and then third in the third place of course that doesn't work in verse 13 she uses the phrase again mocking me why are you mocking me and he mentions the seven locks of head of his head into the loom. And so there's these three times that they go back and forth. And of course, finally in verse 17, with, his, with her nonstop badgering, there is a pretty key phrase here that it says, verse 17, notice opens, he told her all his heart. I'm not suggesting that husband and wife keep secrets. And by the way, we never actually get a direct telling here that they are married. But Samson opens up with everything to her, tells her all his heart. He talks about the Nazarite vow, the fact that no razor has ever come to his head, and he reveals that if his head were shaved, then he would lose his strength. And so that's, of course, what's going to happen. Probably the most well-known part of this story is that he finally succumbs to her badgering. She cuts his hair, and then he wakes up, in a sense, here in this particular picture, as it's depicted for us, uh, and the Philistines come to capture him. They come and they take him, and they make him work as a slave. Now, if you'd like to make notes, here's an interesting thing as he becomes enslaved. There's three things that happen to him in verse number 21. First of all, he's blind. He's blind because they put out his eyes. Second of all, he, we use the word bind, B-I-N-D. Then he's going to be bound and enslaved in a sense with bronze fetters. And then number three, he's going to grind. It tells us that he's going to go to prison and become a grinder in the prison. So blind, bind, and grind are all part of Samson's punishment here. Side note, I know you like to notice some interesting things from Scripture. Look back at chapter 16 and verse 1. I told you that he's chasing women at the beginning of every chapter. What does it say? Samson went to where? He went to Gaza, and he saw a harlot there. Look again at chapter 16 and verse number 21. What does he see when he gets to Gaza this time? We say, isn't it ironic? He sees nothing. Because his eyes have been put out. Someone who has succumbed to these, the wiles of these women and been drawn away by his desires and enticed in that kind of way, he goes from seeing a harlot, which is going to help lead him astray, to going back to Gaza and seeing nothing. Because now he is enslaved and he is blind 
bind and grind as part of his punishment here. And even sadder than all of that, even sadder than the physical circumstances, notice again in verse 20, the problem is he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Why is the spiritual situation sadder than his physical situation? Because God had left him. God had departed from him. And that is very, very awful to think about. Of course, the last thing here is his final show of strength and his death. Chapter 16, verses 23 through 31. The Philistines praise their God, Dagon. Uh, praise their God, Dagon. And it says it there in verse number 23 that that's where he is taken. That that's where Samson is taken, is to the temple of Dagon. The truth is, Dagon had nothing to do with it. They're praising Dagon for having Samson brought to them. But of course, it's God that is involved in all of this. Samson's called to perform one last time before the people. He prays to God to remember him and summons that strength one more time. Question, do you think Delilah was standing there? Do you think Delilah was nearby? I don't have the answer, and I don't think there's a big lesson in that, but isn't it interesting to wonder if she might have been nearby watching, observing? Could she have been counting her money, excited because she's been paid for what she's done? Could she be watching sad, sadly, from the sidelines because she realizes what she's done and what's going to happen to him? I don't know, but it is something to think about as we think about Samson and Delilah. Of course, in verses 29 and 30, his strength returns to him, and he's able to kill himself and all the Philistines who were present in that time. What a sad, sad ending after such a good beginning. What a sad, sad story about the evil associations that we sometimes find ourselves around. What, about, what a sad, sad story about acting impulsively, not thinking through things, whether it be chasing a wife who might be very beautiful physically, we might be attracted to in a physical sense, but knowing she's not going to be good spiritually, or seeking after a harlot at the beginning of chapter 16 there. Any number of things in the life of Samson that it cautions us to be careful who we surround ourselves with, to be careful about how we act, and to remember how costly our mistakes can be. It's why it's important. Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. Have I made mistakes? Absolutely. Have you? Will we again? We will. But it's important to limit them, to try to live faithfully. His mistakes were costly. One thing we try to teach our children is, we want you to have it better than us. We don't want you to fall into the same traps and snares that we did. So listen and think and seek after the will of God. You know, one last thing here. Samson is one of the many instances of God using a divine plan with tarnished people. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'm thankful that I don't have to try to keep up an air of being perfect as a preacher. I'm the best studier. I'm the smartest. I've got it all figured out, and I have no problems in this life. I'm so thankful I don't have to try to keep up with that kind of persona, that I can be as tarnished as anybody else, and that God throughout the course of time has used tarnished people to accomplish great and wonderful things. We're about to sing the song in just a moment here, Is Thy Heart Right With God? That's the question for me and for you as we conclude this lesson, as we think about the life of Samson, as we also imagine for just a few moments how we can strive to be better people. The question is simply, is your heart right with God? It was the same question for Samson. He lived under the old law, but it was the same question. Are you right with God? And we're about to sing that same thing to each other this afternoon. 
We talk about how our songs sometimes sing praise to God, and other times we sing to each other. We've said before, it'd be one of those times where it'd be better if we almost stood in a circle and sang to each other, because that's the words of this song, is your heart right with God? I'm singing to you, you're singing to me. We're simply trying to answer that question. We're thankful for this moment that presents itself, that we can ask that question, and we can take a moment to ponder it. Maybe you're here and you're not a child of God. We sing to encourage you that you would put Christ on in baptism. Make your life right with God by being added to his church by him once you've been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation.